Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Welcome, my name is Jarrett Stevens, and I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and I just want to do it again. For those of you who are gathered at a safe distance in our room, make some noise. For those of you who are here, it is good to see you. It feels like homecoming. I just feel like we're seeing, it's just so good. And for those of you who are guests or maybe new, and you know what's crazy is we have folks that have joined our church during this last year when we are all virtual and have become a part of it, and so it's good to see you face-to-face as well. And for those of you who are actually worshiping with us online. Again, just let us know. Light up the comment section where you're at, where you're coming from. We're so grateful that you are actually a part of this church. And if you're listening to the podcast later, crank up the volume. Do whatever you got to do to let us know that you're here, but we'll we'll never know because it's in the future. Anyway, the point is uh, we've been going through an incredible teaching series over the last couple weeks. We're uh, walking through the book of Mark leading all the way up through Easter. And if you've missed any of these weeks, I highly recommend that you go back and catch up. If you're watching online, just hit the subscribe button now so you don't miss anything because this has been powerful for our church to move together through the book of Mark. And today, in our teaching time that we have today, I actually want to go after a really big question, I think a really significant question. I think a question that somewhere inside all of us we're asking at some level, in some form or another. I remember the first time that I asked this question, I was well into my life with God, and it just had never dawned on me before to ask this question. And I want to give you the freedom to ask this question today. It's a very simple, but I think incredibly significant uh, question. Do you want to know what the question is? Sure. All right, you might want to write this down. Here's the question. Uh, where did Noah keep uh, the bees on the ark? I just was thinking about this this last week. Where did Noah keep his bees? I'm sure you've wondered this. I'm sure you've prayed about this. You've searched many sacred texts to understand. Does anyone know where Noah kept the bees on the ark? You want to know where he kept them? He kept them in his ark hive. No, come on. It's so much better than that. He kept them in his archive, archive, archive. Dang it. The nine o'clock was so much better than all of y'all. I'm going back. That's the one that's going online. If you're watching this now, you don't even know because the nine o'clock killed it. That is a dad joke. And I'm a dad and I'm entitled to say that joke. And you can't take the mic from me and they can't even cut this part. So that's not really the question that I wanted to ask. I just thought that was fun. And I, and I thought we would put it up there. Uh, I mean, it's an important question, but there's actually a bigger question that I want us to get after coming out of the, the text we're going to be looking at in Mark chapter eight. And the question is, this is the real question. This is the real question. The question is, is life with God pointless or can it have purpose? This is a significant question. Is life with God pointless or can it actually have purpose? I believe that this is, however you might ask that or, or phrase that or word that, this is a fundamental formational question that all of us need to wrestle with. Is it all just random? My life, this life with God. Is it all just circumstantial? Do I, is, is there any sort of point or purpose to it, or as we're going to unpack a little bit more in a bit, pattern. Is there a pattern or a rhythm to your life, to my life with God? And could it be that the life that God actually has for you, for each and every one of us, is actually found in the life? It's found in the death. It's found in the resurrection of Jesus. The life God has for you is found in his life and death 
and resurrection. That's what we're going to be going after uh, today. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Mark chapter 8 or open up a tab or open up your favorite app to get to Mark chapter 8. We just heard Pastor Kelly walk us through that text. Uh, We're not going to be able to unpack all of it today, but we are continuing in our journey through this gospel of Mark to understand who this Jesus is so that we can rightly respond to him with our lives. And if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you've heard us say that the gospel of Mark is one of the shortest gospel accounts, and it moves really quickly. For people who are new to faith or new to the Bible, I usually recommend read the gospel of Mark or read the gospel of John. You'll get the heart and the essence of who Jesus is through this gospel account. It moves quick. It's action-oriented. But that doesn't mean that, that we don't have these um, significant and intentional moments that Jesus has with his Uh, followers. There's actually uh, several in the book of Mark that are really intimate moments. We kind of get a window in to his conversations with his followers. And one of those conversations is actually found at the beginning of the text that Kelly read just a minute ago, Mark 8.27. Mark 8.27. Now, I need to let you know something. Um, I I spent hours over the last couple weeks, I knew that I was going to be teaching this text, for the last couple weeks I spent hours studying, listening to other messages, reading books on this little interaction that Jesus has with his followers that starts in Mark 8.27. I wrote three and a half pages of notes just on those few verses. I had no less than 15 slides prepared. I know people get excited when I say here's 15 slides. People get excited. I was so excited to teach that part of Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to be really, really honest with you. It is so good what I wrote. (laughs) Probably the best stuff I've ever written, and we're not going to go through it today. We're literally going to skip over that section because we just don't have time. But I need you to trust me that it's the best stuff I've ever written in my life. And it's worth unpacking. And so what I asked John if I could do, if I could crash our Soul Cities Transformation podcast this week, and I'm going to go on and unpack some of that stuff like a director's cut. You know how they do that to movies? It's going to be like a four-hour message. So if you're up for that kind of stuff, uh, you can listen in later on this week. Because what I really actually want to get to, the heart of what we want to get to uh, this week is actually goes back to, it focuses on that question that we looked at just a second ago. Is it all just pointless? Like, does it really all matter, this life with God? Does it really all matter? Or... Could there actually be real purpose, even a pattern, a rhythm to my life with God? And in Mark chapter 8, 31, we actually see Jesus lay out for us what this life with him is all about by talking about his own life. So let's actually go to Mark 8, 31 right now, and we can uh, read this text together. He said, uh, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, one of the many names of Jesus. Again, I, three and a half pages just on that phrase. Anyway, the point is uh, that the Son of Man may suffer many things and be rejected, that's important, rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, the people who should have recognized who he was first. Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. They're going to reject me. They're going to betray me. They're not going to get me. And I'm going to have to suffer under this, so that he must be killed. Jesus, again, talking about himself. And after three days, rise again. Now, again, he, there's nothing cryptic about this. He's being incredibly clear with them. In fact, Mark even notes in verse 32 that Jesus spoke plainly, honestly, openly about all of this. Now, this is really important because it relates to you and me. And when he was talking about this, about how he must suffer, how he must die, how he'd be raised again, Peter decides, you got to love Peter. If you know anything about Peter, he's he's the hothead. He's the loudmouth among Jesus' followers. And Peter took him aside and began to what? Began to rebuke him. Say it again. Began to rebuke him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had someone rebuke you. It's not a great feeling. 
It's not really great. And you have to love this. Jesus is yet again making it so incredibly clear what his life is actually all about, what God's, God's plan and God's purpose is for his life. And as we'll see here in a moment, for our lives, and it's not the first time he's done it, and it won't be the last time he's done it, and Peter's not having any of it. Peter just does not want to hear that kind of stuff. I mean, you can just imagine Peter pulling Jesus aside, right? And be like, Jesus, babe, listen, I love what you're doing. I think it's great. I think it's great. The teaching, oh man. I mean, people are really listening. It's just tracking really well right now. And the miracles, the miracles. Oh my gosh, people love the miracles. That trick you did with the fish and the loaves, people are still talking about it. I literally just got a letter this morning. Anyway, Jesus, what I'm thinking, and I'm just talking out loud here, Jesus, I'm just talking out loud. Maybe we can ixnay all the talk of the F day. You know what I'm saying? Because it's really bumming people out and it's not playing well with our key demographic. Like can you, that, that is essentially what Peter's doing. He's trying to shush Jesus. He's like, shh, don't, Jesus, don't, don't talk about that kind of stuff. And Jesus isn't having any of Peter. In fact, look at what happens in verse 33. It says, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, and this, whoa, this is a phrase, get behind me, Satan. Just quick pause on here. For those of you who are married, never use that phrase in a fight. I just, I'm trying to help you. Don't ever say that. Just because Jesus said it doesn't mean you can Okay, he says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that is, that is, he takes it, uh, like it escalates quickly here. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You don't get what I'm going after here. All you're thinking about is yourself. Now, we got a lot going on here. I mean, first of all, we have a little rebuke off going on here in the Bible. Jesus shuts down Peter for trying to shut him down. This is actually the first recorded moment in all of human history and all throughout the Bible that we actually get to see a comment section in real time. That's exactly like what's happening here. But what's really actually going on is something much deeper. Because the reason Jesus is, is rebuking Peter is because he's actually speaking against some of his followers' expectations of Jesus being their conquering king. That's how they saw him that he would be their conquering king. They wanted, Peter wanted, others wanted him to actually get power, to take power, to go bigger, and to restore Israel back to the place that it once had and once held in this world. And if they were to be really honest, because you can see it in other texts as well, if Jesus is going to do all that, the disciples wanted him to bring them along with him. Everybody eats, right? If you're going to go, Jesus, take us with you. That's where they wanted to go bigger, more power, more power. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Because what's happening at, at, at two levels is it's something very significant. And it's happening all at once. At one level, Jesus is giving us, he said very clear in those first couple verses, he's giving us a picture of the life that he actually came to live and to give for you. Now, you saw the details. That's exactly how it happened. He was very clear about that. But at a deeper level, I believe that Jesus is actually showing us, he's showing you, he's showing me, that this was not merely an explanation of his life, but an invitation for your life. That's what's really going on here. Jesus isn't just explaining what would happen in his life. He's inviting you into that same life. And just like Peter, not a lot of us want to hear that. We don't, we don't want to actually hear that. Because if we were to be actually totally honest, for those of us, who have actually said yes to Jesus, you said yes to a life with him, if you were to be really honest, I, I bet there is a way that you hoped or imagined or thought 
your life with him was going to go. For most of us, when we try and imagine how our life with Jesus might be, it kind of usually follows this pattern. We assume that it starts with Jesus, it ends in heaven, and everything in between is just sort of up and to the right. Wouldn't that be great if that's how it actually worked? Like, all I do, I say yes to Jesus, eventually I get to heaven, and everything is up and to the right in my life. That would be amazing. Life would just be so much easier if that were the case. But for those of us who've been in it for a minute, how many of y'all know that this is not how it works? That's not how it works, is it? I mean, if you're looking for any evidence that life doesn't really work this way, just go back a year. Just look at this last year. Or look to the last season that you walked through, a difficult season, a challenging season. Or look at the last time that your life didn't actually work out the way that you thought it would. Look at the last time that you were disappointed with God, angry at God. Look at the last time that all of this felt pointless to you. While an up and to the right life with God would be awesome, that would be great, that's not actually what we're invited into. That's not what Jesus invited us into. What he did and what he is inviting you into is a life that is rooted in reality, but simultaneously rooted in something much bigger and far beyond life as you and I would choose in this world. A life that actually leads to more life, a life that leads to to new life, a life that actually leads to a better life in him, not just the good life that we want. And again, it's a life that not many of us would choose on our own. The life that Jesus is is talking about here, the life that you and I are, are invited into, is a phrase that I want you to get familiar with. Maybe you know it, maybe you've never heard it before, but this life with Jesus that we're invited into, and you might want to jot this down if you've got a pen or something to write down with, it's called a cruciform life. A cruciform life. A life that actually follows a cruciform pattern that Jesus laid out for us here in Mark 8 and in many other passages and texts throughout the New Testament. It's a cruciform pattern. What do I mean by cruciform pattern? I mean that it is literally formed by the crucifixion or by the cross of Jesus. That your life is formed by the cross, by the crucifixion. This is something that our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, that desert fathers and mothers, that Christian mystics have been very familiar with and have taught on and written on for generations, for decades and decades and centuries, in fact. But it's something that maybe it's not familiar to you and me. And I'll be really honest with you. I hadn't even heard about this. I've been following Jesus for most of my life. I hadn't even heard about this till years ago, that there actually is a purpose, if not even a, a pattern to this life with God. And what I want to walk through over just the next couple of minutes is not a formula for you. Far be it for me to try and give you some formula to a life with God. What I want to give you is a framework, a framework to understanding how it works in this life with God. So what is a cruciform pattern that Jesus has laid out for us in Mark 8? What does it really look like? How does it work? Well, here's where it always starts. It always starts with new life. And that's awesome. And it should. New life begins in Jesus when you say yes to Jesus. And you can say yes to Jesus today. You can say yes to Jesus at any moment. That's why we celebrate baptism around here. We make such a big deal about it. It's people saying yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I get it. I, I, like, you are my way. Boom. The second you do, you actually have a new life. You have a new life in him. And in this new life phase of the cruciform pattern, everything is awesome because you are growing like crazy. You're experiencing spiritual growth, maybe for the first time in your life. You are actually seeing the world through a new spiritual 
lens. You are actually having new spiritual language to be able to understand the world, understand yourself. It is a wonderful, this new life phase is a wonderful place to start. But again, for those of us who've been in it for more than a minute, you know that this is not where you stay, is it? It'd be great if you could, but this is not where you stay because in this cruciform pattern that we see laid out for Jesus, what eventually comes into all of our lives is struggle and suffering. Struggle and suffering. Just I wonder if anyone would be uh, so bold as to say that they have walked through some struggle and suffering in their life. In fact, if you have in this room, raise a hand or in the comment section, just put a hand up in the, in the chat. If you've ever walked through a season, like there's a double hand back there. I see you, sister. I see you, right? That's honest right there. This, this is just a part of how it works, that all of us are going to face challenges and setbacks and struggle and loss. Life gets hard. And for some reason, this is where, this is why it's so important. For some reason, when life gets hard, God isn't stopping it from being hard. He doesn't seem to make it just go away for you or get any easier. It doesn't feel as awesome as it once did. I know that there are plenty of folks in this room, plenty of folks who are watching online that have felt that, that have walked through that, or are maybe walking through a season of struggle and setback and suffering even right now. You're facing it even right now. And it's all you could do to show up here today. All of us will face this. It's just part of, in fact, Jesus even promised, in this world you will have trouble. But you can take heart, because that's not the end of the story. I've overcome the world. But all of us will. In fact, the reason Jesus was able to speak with such authority about struggle and suffering is because he himself experienced it. He walked through it himself. He faced rejection. He faced betrayal, slander, loneliness, loss, and all of that was before the cross. He was very familiar with this. And I wish I could tell you that in this cruciform pattern, this life with Jesus, that the next stop is a is a fun one. I wish I could tell you that it's like some kind of game of spiritual shoots and ladders, that after you go through a little struggle and suffering, it's whoop, right back up to the top and everything's awesome again. But that, that's not how it works. Because the invitation that Jesus gives us and modeled for us is that what comes from struggle and suffering, the next part of this pattern, part of the spiritual formation process, is to die. It's death. And I don't just mean a physical death. I mean something um, of the soul, something in you that dies. I know. It's really fun, right? Aren't you glad you came back this weekend? Boy, Jarrett really uplifted us this weekend. So glad I came. But it's true. It's true. Even though no one likes to talk about it, death is a big part of this life with God. And don't get me wrong, I think we're all very grateful that Jesus died for, I am incredibly grateful that Jesus died for me. That's what we celebrate at Easter, that's what we sing about. I'm so glad that Jesus died for me. But when it comes to me dying to myself, not so much. I'm not as interested in that part of the journey, that part of the process. But this is the invitation from Jesus to let parts of us die, the parts of you that need to die. And there are oftentimes, you know, you can recognize them because they're deeply entwined, connected to, rooted in your false selves, in your ego. We've become quite fond of them, quite attached to them. Sometimes it's unhealthy or unrealistic expectations that we have on ourselves, on others, or on God. 
Sometimes it's habits or, or patterns that once promised us life, but now are stealing that very life from us. The invitation here is to let those things die, to let go. And while it is an incredible understatement to say that this process is never easy, it is always good. It is always for your good and for God's glory. This is a part of our spiritual formation. This is what Jesus was actually doing on the cross. He actually went first. He did it himself. He was not only making a way for us, but showing us the way of how life with him works. Because in this, in this cruciform pattern, in this cruciform life, what is always waiting on the always, let me say it again, what is always waiting on the other side of death is resurrection. Praise God for that. There is always a resurrection on the other side of whatever it is that needs to die in you. And all of us have areas in our life that need to die. It's time. And the good news is what's waiting on the other side is resurrection. Something new, something more true, something transformed is born when we let our old self or our past self or our false selves die. No matter how hard or how painful it might actually be, there is more in store on the other side. There actually is new life. Let me say that again. For those of us here right now or those of us who are worshiping online, for those who, who maybe this all just feels a little pointless to you right now, maybe you're kind of stuck in, a, in the struggle and the suffering or even in the death, I want you to hear this. There is new life for you. Because somehow we were, we were taught, somehow we were mistakenly, we, we believed that new life is just a one-time event with Jesus. Like I say yes to him, I pray a prayer, and then I have this new life. But that's not actually how it works in this cruciform pattern. You are actually born again and again and again and again. That's how life with Jesus works. Because after resurrection, it leads to new life, more life. This is the process. This is the way it works with God. This is what Jesus modeled to, to us. And so the the cruciform pattern, it, it, God continues to use us as he grows us and refines us so that he can grow us and refine us so that he can grow us some more and refine us some more. This is what transformation looks like. This is what Jesus not only did for you, but actually invites you to do with him. This is what life with him Looks like this is our spiritual life. And I just wonder if there's anyone in this space who's gone through it some level in some way now that maybe you didn't know the word or you didn't have the name for it, but as you look at it, you go, oh my gosh, I have experienced that. I've experienced the new life, the struggle, the death, the resurrection. Is there anyone in this room or anyone online that would willing to say amen right now to the fact that there is more on the other side? To just literally say, well, I didn't know, I didn't hear you. Does anyone want to say amen that there is more on the other side? Yeah, some of y'all need to cap, like type in all caps in the comment section, amen, that there is more than struggle, that there is more than death, that there is resurrection, there is new life on the other side. And I know, again, we have to be honest, None of us would choose this on our own, at least not the struggling, the suffering, and the death part, right? And if we were to be really, really honest, most people spend most of their lives trying to avoid this. Let's even go in like a little further. Most Christians do everything they can to avoid this part. 
They want the new life, but they don't want to go through the dying part. They want the blessing, but they don't want the breaking. This is the invitation that Jesus gives us. This is what is true of his life and of yours. And it's simply put, there is no resurrection without crucifixion. There is no resurrection. Like what we celebrate at Easter, everyone gets all dressed up. You wear your little hat, you got your outfit on. Everyone's all excited to celebrate resurrection. There is no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. There has to be a death for there to be a resurrection, for new life to be born. Old things have to die. That's how it works. I wish there was another way. This is the way that Jesus gave us. This is the way that Jesus modeled for us. And my hunch is, again, while you may have not had the language for this, you already intuitively knew this, that this is how it works, how new things come into our lives is through old things having to die, right? For those of us who live, okay, so let's just talk real talk for those of us who are here. For those of us who live in Chicago, and if you're uh, watching online, you're just going to have to deal with us for a minute. For those of us who live here in Chicago, how much has your whole entire life changed over the last 10 days as it's gotten warmer and warmer each day? Now I'm going to get an amen. Like when you see dudes out in shorts and it's 44 degrees out, that's Chicago. That's how we do, all right? Because your whole, everything inside you is like, oh God, there is a God and he is good, right? Like it comes alive just when it, why? Because we love summertime shy. We, there is no shy like summertime shy. We live for this. We wait all year for this. It's an incredible thing. We treat that lake like it's an ocean. Don't tell us that it's not. It's big enough to be an ocean. Don't tell us that it's not, right? And if anyone who's ever lived in Chicago for more than a year, well, as much as we love this, if you've lived here for more than a year, you know that you cannot get to this without going through this. You know it. That's just, I mean, that's where we come from, that we were just there, literally just there. So you intuitively know this, don't you? This is kind of how it works. In fact, I, I would contend that the way that God created the seasons, those seasons are spiritual teachers to us because it's never stayed winter forever. There's always a resurrection. I know, I know, you're in it. I know it feels like it's going to last forever. It won't. It doesn't. That's not how God works. That's how this cruciform pattern works, is that there's resurrection, there's new life. This is what Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 8. And in case you think, well, yeah, but maybe he was just talking about himself. Let's keep reading two more verses. Mark 8, 34 says this, so then Jesus called the crowd to him and along with his disciples, so they're having this private conversation, just him and his disciples, and he's like, hold my beer, everyone come here, like get in here close because I'm gonna teach you by teaching them right now. And he gathers them together and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their what? Say it real loud, take up their cross. Their cross. Their cross. And follow me. For who, oh, this is, such, this is such wisdom. Whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. Like you work so hard to hold on to the life that you, the way you want it on your terms, you're going to end up, it's going to slip right through your fingers. You'll lose it. But whoever willingly, whoever chooses, whoever trusts to lose their life for me and for the gospel will actually save it. This is what, this is what Jesus is talking about here. It's not just for him, it's for you and for me and for all of us who would actually be willing to trust him to see 
it all the way through, who would be actually willing to lose their life, who would actually be willing to say, okay, I trust you. I am not going to try and hold on to it on my own terms anymore. I'm going to choose to trust you, God, with the process. I'm going to choose to be willing to follow you, Jesus, all the way, to find actually new life, true life. How powerful is that from Jesus, that it's not just for him, but it's for us. It's for you as well. Could it be that this is actually what Jesus is inviting us into, that he's inviting you into? Could it be that it's actually not all pointless and chaotic, circumstantial, but that what you're going through, whatever it may be, has a far greater purpose than maybe you realized when you walked in here or logged on today? Could it be that the cross is not merely our way to life, but our way through life? It's not merely our way to life where we thank Jesus, we say a prayer, we get, yes, that's awesome. That's a part of it, but that's not the end of it. That the cross actually becomes your way through life. This cruciform pattern, this is transformation. Your spiritual formation is formed by the cross of Jesus Christ. That it's not actually something you're just meant to look at, but to pick up, to make your way. His way becomes your way through this life. And I want to just real quick, if I can, as I wrap up here, I want to just real quick speak to those who may find themselves in this cruciform pattern at some level. Maybe you didn't have a name for it when you showed up here today, but, but, but you recognize it now. Can I, just, can I just take a second to encourage you for wherever you may be at in that process? Because we're all at different places in our own spiritual formation right now. I just wanna say, for those of you who are in this new life phase, like you've said yes to Jesus uh, maybe recently, or you've kind of gone through and you're, in, you're like seeing things at a whole new level, you have this whole new spiritual vitality and energy. Can I just say, if you're in the new life phase, like you keep doing you, boo-boo. Like we are so glad that you are where you are. Thank God for the fact that you're experiencing new life. Thank God for the fact that you are not who you once were. Mark that, you need to mark that. You are not the same anymore. That is incredibly significant. You have new life, thank God for that. But for those of us who are in the struggle, for those of us who are in the suffering right now, and life is not how you hope for or, or imagined, you, you, you're in it. Maybe you're even in the midst of, of a death right now. There are things that used to work for you that just no longer seem to work. Ways in which you went about your life that are just no longer available to you, no longer of service to you, might be connected to, again, an actual death, someone that you've lost, and in your grieving, it feels like a part of you has died. I know about that. Maybe in some other form of loss that you're walking through, loss of a job, loss of a dream, loss of a child, a divorce, an end of a relationship. Maybe you just feel like you're just stuck in a spiritual desert. As we talked about a little bit earlier, there's just parts of your ego and your false self that are being invited to die, to let go of. And it's hard. And you wonder if, if God brought you this far to just bring you this far and leave you here. If that's you, can, I just, can you just hear from me? You are not alone. Like, I'm there. I got it. There, there are so many seasons where there are so many parts of me that have just had to die. I've just had to pick up my cross and say, no, Jesus, your way is better than my way. From my small views 
of God. I had such a small box for most of my life I tried to put God in. Thank God he never fit into it. To all my conditional terms and understanding of God's goodness and grace in my life, to my pride, to my need to be right, to my defensiveness, I can be incredibly defensive. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. That's the thing that continually needs to die in me. To the way I thought my life would go, to the people I thought I would have in my life for longer, to my deep dependence on myself and my own abilities. You know, basically where I tell God, don't worry, I got it. To this last year, having to let my idea of what I thought church was die so that something new could be born. To most recently, I've become very aware of part of me that Jesus is lovingly wanting to bring to an end. And that is my deep and desperate desire for you to like me. I just want you to like me. I want you to think I'm smart. I want you to think that I'm right. So much, the lengths that I will go to for that. And what I'm seeing in me is, boy, that is, that is, that is a life I'm trying to hold on to. And maybe it's time to lose it, to let that go. And as hard as each of the seasons have been for me and, and can be and will be for me to walk through, I can tell you that I am better on the other side. There's, there's a resurrection that has happened in me, that happens in me, a new life on the other side, and you will experience it too, I promise you. You can and you will experience it too. There is more on the other side of this suffering, of this struggle, and even death. And, and could it be that, that, that God has just like more for you if you just hold on? As hard as it may be right now, could it be that God is actually not doing this to you, but God is actually using this for you. Just turn it around a little bit. That God's not doing this to you, but he's using what you are going through for you, for your formation, so that you can actually be more like Jesus. Not because God is some cruel or punitive God, but because he's good and he's loving and he's not done with you yet. And he will see you through. He's using this for your transformation, for your spiritual growth, and ultimately for his glory that you would experience resurrection and new life in him. Last thing, and then I'm gonna go. Can we bring back the cruciform pattern? Just real quick. Some of you may know someone who's in this space right here. You, you may be someone you love. It may be someone in your house, maybe your spouse, maybe your roommate, maybe a family member, and they are struggling. They're suffering. They're even, you can kind of tell, maybe they can't, but you can. They're walking through a death. There's something that's just dying in them. Can I just ask, can we just commit, can we do something together? Can we just commit that if you love someone and know someone that's going through this, can you just commit to supporting them? Because they do not need you to fix them. They do not need you to snap them out of it. In fact, I want to be really clear. They do not need you to rescue them from their resurrection. So support them. Pray for them. Stand with them because you'll need them to stand with you when you go through it again. Because that's just kind of how this life with God works. And I hope, I, my prayer, my hope is that you would actually get a, a glimpse that there is more. There actually is purpose to this life with God, that it's not just random. And if you're in it today, that you would actually be willing to trust God with it today.
to trust him like Jesus did, to, to actually trust him to see it all the way through, to trust that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You can count on that. There is more in store on the other side of this if you will just continue to trust him, continue to trust him that he is good, that there is a resurrection for you too and new life in him. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. I wanna pray for you, pray with you. And if you're worshiping with us online, you can stand if you want. None of us will know, but you're welcome to do so. And I asked you earlier, and I think maybe some of us were a little timid. I just wonder if anyone is in this struggle, like you're in a season where it's hard, you're up against it, or maybe even in a death, would you just raise your hand one more time so we can pray for you? Just kind of keep it up for a little bit. And maybe that's all you, like all the strength you got, like, man, this is, and if you're in the chat, would you put a hand in the comment section so that we can actually pray for you? We'd love to have our pastors online that are there right now pray for you. We just want to pray. And if you see someone around you with their hand up, would you just, as I pray, begin to pray for them. We can pray for each other. I just want to pray God's encouragement over you right now. God's blessing over you. Let's pray together right now. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here today who have the courage to say that they're in it, they're up against it, their struggle, their suffering, maybe even a death, that this is not what they thought, not what they imagined, not what they hoped for. I pray today that you would help them see that you are in it and you are good. You're in it with them. And that God, you're not, you're not cruel. You're not punitive. You're not doing this to them, but you're using this for their growth, for their transformation so that they can actually experience a resurrection. And when they do, because it's available and it's possible, I pray that you get all the glory for that, God. That you brought us through. You just, that's what you do. You bring us through and we're better on the other side for it. And for those of us who maybe are fighting or resisting the struggle, the the suffering, would you help us just to trust you even with that? To trust you through it all. Jesus, thank you that you are so trustworthy. Why? Because you went first. You modeled this for us and you made a way for us. And so Jesus, it's your name that we want on the tips of our tongues. It's your name that we wanna say, it's Jesus that I'm following. None of this makes sense. None of this is what I would have chosen, but I'm following Jesus all the way through because I believe there's more in store on the other side. So Jesus, it's in your name that we pray and we take one more step forward today. Amen.